This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship on Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There's a place for you here. For information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the ninth chapter. Jesus and his disciples went on and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What are you arguing about on the way? They were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, And taking it in his arms, he said to to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. A famous preacher once offered this account of his approach to preaching. First I tell them what I'm going to tell them, then I tell them, then I tell them what I told them. It was his belief that repetition was necessary for folks to get the message. He obviously had not had the experience of an attentive congregation like Lord of Life, who gets it right away. Nonetheless, the illustration works as we shall see. Today we have Jesus once again predicting his coming passion for the disciples. It is his second prediction in Mark's narrative. We heard the first one last week, and there will be a third one later in Mark's gospel. Like our famous preacher, Jesus apparently felt the need for repetition. And with good reason, for it seems that the disciples were slow to fully comprehend his message and what he was all about. After hearing twice already about his imminent self-giving sacrifice, the disciples were arguing about whom among them was the greatest. If they were truly to be his followers, to take up the cross and follow him as he as he enjoined us last week, talking about who was the greatest at least seems inappropriate. So having told them what he would tell them, and then having told them, Jesus now tells them the meaning of what he has told them. Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus says that 
He did not come to be served, but to serve. And then the servant is not above his master. The servant, that is his followers, must also live to serve. Jesus, we understand to be the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy concerning the suffering servant of God, which in part, the prophet says, was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. And in this beautiful hymn, Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, captures both the person and work of Jesus and the mandate to follow him, both as individuals and as a church in the world. So Paul wrote, let the same, be my, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We are called to servanthood after this likeness of the Christ. It is a posture of humility, unbecoming aspirations to be the greatest. We all know people who have taken a kind of holier-than-thou attitude toward others, ready to pass judgment on the foibles and failures of those they consider lesser saints. This can be a problem for the rigidly conservative, but it is also a problem for the prideful liberal, overly enamored of his or her progressive social conscience. In other words, it is a danger for all of us, and I suspect especially for professional Christians like pastors and seminary professors. Perhaps experience of such pretense on the part of others has made us at times secretly feel inferior as Christians. Jesus will have no truck with pretentious posturing or spiritual superiority, but as one deeply in... But the servant, I'm sorry, I lost my place. But I'll get back there. Don't tune out. So, an honest account of our lives will easily disabuse us of such a pretense and turn us longingly to God's amazing grace and grace here too will save us from self-deception. Then Jesus punctuates his call to servanthood by placing a child in their midst and says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. 
like children, the weak and the vulnerable are to be welcomed and cared for. If one is fixed on serving children with the gospel and those equally vulnerable, one is then ready to serve all. I repeat, if one is fixed on serving children with the gospel and those equally vulnerable, one is ready to serve all. But the servant in the likeness of Christ does not reach out in an attitude of paternalistic superiority, but as one deeply in need of God's grace to another deeply in need of God's grace. In the final analysis, servanthood after the likeness of Christ is a privilege, a calling given by grace. In baptism, parents and sponsors are asked to nurture the baptized in the faith so that the children will quote the ceremony, proclaim Christ through word and deed, care for others and the world God made, and work for justice and peace, close quote. For this, they were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. So when we start worship at the font, or pass it on our way through to going to worship, it is a reminder that baptism is our new birth of everlasting life in Christ and the birth of our call to servanthood in his name. This call to servanthood extends to the church and the world as well. Ever since Emperor Constantine in the fourth century declared Christianity to be the official religion of the Roman Empire, Christianity has enjoyed a pride of place among the institutions of society in the Western world. The centuries in which the Christian church and tradition held sway in matters of public concern and the setting of social norms has been known as Christendom. However, that pride of place is now in the rearview mirror of history and civil discourse. The increasingly secular, multicultural, and multi-religious world we now live in has made Christianity simply one choice among many, including the increasingly popular choice of no religion at all. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran pastor, theologian, and martyr, writing from a Nazi prison saw the primacy of the church's witness and importance crumbling in the world around him. He saw God being pushed out of all arenas of human concern and conversation. He saw the world becoming more and more secular. So he wrote to his friend that we cannot be honest, he said, unless we recognize that we have to live in a world et si Deus non deritur. That is Latin, of course, and I always tell my students that if you can say it in Latin, it's true. Now, translated, it means as though God were not a given, to live in a world as though God were no longer universally recognized. However, different as his time was from ours, Bonhoeffer's analysis still speaks to us 
Bonhoeffer saw this state of affairs not as a disaster, however. Rather, he saw the church's loss of power and privilege as a chance to embrace its true calling, not one of pride of place and social privilege, but that of a servant church. As Christ was, in his words, the man for others, so the church, true to its calling, is the church for others. Before he could finish shaping his vision of the church for others, he was executed by the Nazis for his opposition to Hitler. However, he has left us with the challenge to fashion a vision of the servant church for our own time and place, as he sought to do in his time and place. That is nothing less than what Christ has called us to do. We sit at the feet of Jesus as those first disciples did, that first church, and hear him enjoin us to be servants of all. Discovering our true vocation as a servant church is not the province of bishops or pastors or the theologians alone. The task is for all of us. First, we must always keep in mind that the church was born of God's extravagant grace. Our service starts with life in that gospel and with the gifts of the Holy Spirit to inspire, enlighten, and guide us. Gathered around word and sacrament, we are empowered to ask soul-searching questions. Is our mission greater than our own self-interest? Are there avenues of service we have yet to discover or have not yet had the will to explore? How does the congregation as servant church meet the needs of its members? What are those needs? Are these avenues of cooperation with other churches, such as the relation with First English and Jacob's Porch? Are there, are there other such avenues that can open new opportunities for service to the community? Does our budget reflect the mission of a servant church? How can we best support the efforts of the larger church in its advocacy for social change on behalf of those most vulnerable, like the children, like the child that Jesus set before the disciples? And to ask these questions is not to engage in negative criticism, berating ourselves for what is not being done, and forgetting what wonderful things are being done. Lord of Life is a servant church. Living in the embrace of God's life-giving grace, we know we belong to him. In that confidence, we are free to explore and examine our mission and ministry for ever new avenues of service. We cannot do everything we might imagine, but being open to the Spirit, one never knows what surprises may be in store. In the final analysis, the vocation of servanthood and the formation of a servant church always begins at the feet of the servant Christ. Once again, he is here for us today, and each time we come to the altar, reminding us of his self-giving sacrifice for a fallen humanity and a broken world, and bringing forgiveness and renewed life through the grace that flows through the bread and wine of his body and blood. Thanks be to God.